and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into our Bo's most besieged work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. That's me. And we're back to talk about Duress 12.8. Um, and yeah, so just in case we needed a reminder of where Blake is at from last chapter, the opening line to this chapter is, time to be the monster from the monster movies, I thought. Um, <laughs> so he's clearly very self-aware of how much of a monster he is being now and is just on board with it yeah it kind of really sets the tone for the whole chapter which is just blake is well it's not blake i i, I still sort of think like it, he, he's out of fucks to give he's just a monster he kind of knows it um he wavers a little bit as we go he- ahead but there's yeah this immediately sets a tone of blake bad yeah i don't even know if i would call it wavering honestly um <clears throat> yeah I, do we call him blake do we just call him spooky tree now or what do we do <laughs> I, i'll keep calling him blake but like uh, at the moment when i say blake i don't mean blake the person i mean blake the thing that he is right now yeah um yeah and he has a few thoughts <laughs> sorry there's this really funny line near the start where blake thinks he's thinking about the practitioners like watching the fire and he thinks they'd be misled hopefully they'd be misled into thinking they'd won by too much that someone had made a mistake and now the house burned threatening to let a demon loose like yeah yeah blake hopefully they think that that's definitely not what actually happened that would be very <laughs> misleading mm-hmm yeah, it's kind of like, hi, y- you fools, I've tricked you into thinking the house is going to burn down, and all it took was me pretty much burning the house yeah. down. Um, yeah, I mean, there's another bit later where um, he-, he thinks, I hoped the fire hadn't raged out of control. It shouldn't have, but stranger things had happened. It's like, stra- stranger things than, like, you lighting a bunch of wood around a wooden house on fire and it catching light. Like, that's not that yeah. strange, Blake. Yeah, so strange. <laughs> um, y- yeah, I-, I mean, there's... There's a number of beats in this chapter, I think, where Blake feels incredibly sort of hypocritical and and self-unaware. And Mm. these thoughts around the fire, I I think, are some of the most obvious. Um, That's actually kind of a good thing, though, right? Because there's these little bits of him and there's little thoughts he has throughout the chapter where it kind of feels like he hasn't fully signed on to being an evil monster. Like, he kind of wants to be a a good one. Mm. (laughs) Well, yeah, he's still still dextering, right? He's still only killing the baddies, at least. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, yeah, I guess. Um, but I just, yeah, it's like, you know, we haven't reached the point where he's just like, oh, yeah, the, you know, the fire might rage and, and let the demon out. Like, he's not thinking that's good yet, so that's something. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I guess it's something. It means that he at least has some people that he doesn't want to die. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the bare minimum, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Uh, Blake thinks uh, so. Blake, Blake is basically describing his movement and how he's he feels kind of like he's moving through treacle a bit. Until once I found my momentum, though, my body remained pliable. Only movements that broke from the flow elicited the noises of breaking and creaking wood or scrapes of wood against bone. And this is great, right? Like he's he he's very literally like gathering momentum and then able to move better. <laughs> it's so Blake, um, and it's very much. A red flag and this chapter is full of red <laughs> flags it's so full of red flags they should call it a chinese flag shop honestly um yeah it's great how pact can just jam metaphors into the world like this uh, <laughs> yep. like this you're right this is it, it, it's it's so blake it's also so boogeyman like you said it becomes a red flag because we're like no we don't want him to have momentum in that direction yeah um yeah i mean Remember when he wanted to, like, break the system? Like, he's, like, mm-hmm. rejecting the Seal of Solomon because he's like, that system's bad and we need to get rid of it. It kind of just feels like he's fallen into the worst system. Like, it's like, when you fall through the cracks of the Seal of Solomon world, you end up in the Abyss's rules. Yeah. And, like, this is not better, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, he's... It's like... You know, uh, I don't want to play by those rules, so let's just have total anarchy and we can do whatever yeah. the fuck we want yeah. instead of being like, so I'll follow these other set of rules. <laughs> um, speaking of like of great imagery as well, right right before that line you just brought out about Blake's like m- momentum and pliability, um, there's a line where Blake sort of notices how well Evan and Green Eyes slip into the world and, and just sort of fit into their surroundings, uh, whereas he sticks out like a sore thumb. And, um, I mean, again, yeah. I, it's just another red flag, I guess. It's yeah. just like, he, he's just so out of sync with, with the world and he's just 
uh oh he's just trouble yeah yeah definitely right um and speaking of trouble the uh the gang here sneaks up on a group of duchamps and prepares to murder them so let's just get this out of the way fuck blake for getting evan into this right mm-hmm. like i'm mm-hmm. so, i'm so mad at him yeah uh and i that, this is something i want to touch on actually is evan's reaction to this or lack of reaction because whether it's blake ignoring it or not we just don't see evan be not on board with this at any point right he's he's playing along and maybe it's he hasn't really considered the implications of what they're doing but by the end of the chapter it should be abundantly clear because evan does help them kill four people yeah so at this point in the chapter i was working off the assumption that evan didn't understand what blake was about to do and would surely call him out on it later but uh uh, no, I mean Evan kind of seems to be on board with some. I, I yeah, I, I guess I can't wait to see the 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 fallout from the ending of this chapter and hopefully get a bit of a better idea on where the hell Evan's at right now. Because yeah. um yeah, you're right. He's he's sort of uh concerningly accepting of everything that goes on in this chapter. Yeah, and, I, um, we've we've fallen far enough that I'm hoping Rose is going to be the one to bring some context <laughs> and perspective here, which is <laughs> not something yeah. I thought I would say. Yeah, remember two arcs ago when Rose was the uh, one being influenced out of control? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Well, it's like a fucking arms race to the bottom <laughs> of the barrel with these two, I swear to God. Um, um, yeah, but like, I, I just, I love this because like, it's just involving Evan in all this. He's just thinking like- This is a child. Ago, this is a child. Well, yeah. Well, wait, n- not even Narco. Three chapters ago, if somebody else had put Evan in situations like this, Blake would have tried to kill them. Like, his whole thing, he, he used to want to protect Evan. Now he's putting Evan, you know, in into fighting- I mean, yeah. maybe it's just that whole thing. Like, you know, is this worse than bringing Evan into Earth? Or he tried not to bring Evan into Earth. So, you know what? Yeah, like, fuck Blake. Like, you know, again, it feels very hypocritical. This is not what old Blake would have done. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, on a lighter note, uh, as as the group are watching these Duchamps, they're basically just shit-talking the Bahames, which is relatable. Uh, I love it. I'm on board with it. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, and I think it kind of puts you in that lull. The Bahames are so stupid mindset that the story has kind of... established and and obviously i think that leaves you more vulnerable to how the chapter ends yeah um so blake approaches one of these duchamp practitioners who is by herself on the phone and uh holds her at sword point preparing to execute her remember two chapters ago when i said blake was the heart and soul one (laughs) good times happier times (laughs) so long ago um Um, yeah, yeah no uh, like I, I was actually wondering, I like if if he's given them up, does that mean Rose has gotten them? Like, are we just going to meet a super nice and chill Rose now? Probably not. <laughs> probably not. Like, I don't yeah. honestly believe that, but it would be funny. Yeah. Um. So this woman is uh on the phone with her daughter as Blake is preparing to kill her. Um. And she honestly, she she handles the situation pretty well. Um, yeah. She yeah. she basically. <sighs> finishes this conversation with her daughter knowing that she is going to die that she is about to die um and tries to leave her daughter in the healthiest psychological shape possible for that uh which is a tough needle to thread oh this this whole bit man like it's um it, like, there's a there's a number of moments here where i'm going to pull out where it feels like blake feels like a super villain yeah this is the one where he just feels like a straight up like evil serial killer um like the bit where wait, she literally sheds a tear and it lands on blake's hand and it takes him a while to realize that he hasn't accidentally cut like he, he doesn't understand what the tear is for yeah he never even consciously makes the connection like the readers left to draw the connection themselves is is blake an idiot is blake <laughs> no, an I, idiot i mean we've gotten this far without asking this question but i feel like we've gotten to the point where blake is an idiot I actually think we there might have been a time back in like arc three where we told we, we called him an idiot, but um, yeah, I I mean it reminds me of like remember when Rose didn't used to get like bits of sarcasm or, or something? Yeah, it wasn't quite that, but you know she she just sort of miss um the intricacies of what some people yeah say. It back kind of in feels like, like arc that, one with, or two yeah yeah this is that with like basic human emotions mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah I I don't know it, it actually like um. I mean, okay, so the spoilers for, for Worm, like, I don't want to drag Worm into this too much, but it, like, it particularly this bit just reminded me a lot of um, Spec, mm. uh, as Taylor loses herself to the, the violence of her shard, 
um obviously like blake has i think lost touch with so much of his humanity to this this violent abyssian nature um Mm. there's there's some similarities there and i mean you know i think i think wobbo is probably working off the assumption at this point as he's writing this that most people reading this read worm Mm. um and so i think like i I think that parallel may not be entirely accidental like it could be because because i think this hits you so much harder having read worm because you're like no we we already lost the the last protagonist you know she died because of this she's dead um (laughs) <laughs> no she's coming back <laughs> uh you know we, we lost we lost taylor to, to something very similar so it's sort of you know hit, hitting us in that same sore spot basically yeah. but but yeah like, like i think not noticing the tear i think it's just really a sign of or is it, you know, not not comprehending what the tear is instantly is really just a sign of how far removed blake is from his humanity right now yeah oh yeah i mean i I agree with that and i definitely i'm reminded of the same thing i think there is an alternate read though i think the alternate read is that he just is in denial about it like he doesn't not it's not that he doesn't know that it's a tear because i don't know even blake i struggle to think that he's that out of touch with humanity um but just that as soon as that thought even starts to process he just has to shut it down because he just can't do what he's doing now, do what he feels like he needs to do, while also, you know, letting himself be in touch with any remnant of his human flesh that is still remaining. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally think that's what's happened. Because it, it, when, when it first hits him, he thinks maybe it's blood, and then he sort of realises it's not blood, and then he just nopes out of that train of thought. Yeah, and, um, you know, I mean, that was that was classic Blake. Like, he used to do that a lot with, with various things. He had, you know, th- some things like family or, or his, you know, his past where he would just nope out of the thought process. Like, uh, as his mind started going there, he's like, hmm, no, nah, let's talk about something else. Uh, and this kind of feels like that, but it's with now with what he's doing, not not something in his past. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> um, so Blake forces this woman, Joyce, to swear an oath of, of non-confrontationalness uh, before <laughs> he lets her go without brutally murdering her, which is so nice of him. I mean, maybe the current situation has lowered my standards for what's okay. Um, mm-hmm. That's my that's my new summary for Pact. Yeah. Um, but I, I like this as a solution to the the problem. Like threatening to kill people until they swear to stop being a problem. You could do worse, uh, and, and he does later. Like we're about to see that. But <laughs> you can um, and will do worse. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't. I don't hate this as a strategy for getting people to calm the fuck down. Yeah. Can we um, talk about whether this was actually his strategy though? Because oh no, it wasn't. There's this part of it where he sees Evan, and Evan cocks his head, and then Blake is like, "Maybe I'll give her a chance. Swear an oath to me." Blah blah blah, and. That means, to me, my read is Blake would have just killed her if Evan wasn't here watching, <laughs> right? No, I, I, that was 100% my understanding as well. There's the bit, He's basically holding the knife to her, and then he, it, it's, it, he starts asking the questions right after that line about Evan cocking his head. I, I think that's the connection we're meant to make. Yeah. So, once again, thank God for Evan. Yep. Um, and so, the next thing that Joyce does, this woman, is she gets one of the other practitioners to come with her. And we'll talk about this in a second, but... I think, like, Blake letting her live helps here. It helps him not have to fight as many practitioners, right, explicitly. Um, And it helps him on his quest to kill the baddies and not the goodies, right? (laughs) So, like, brutally murdering people at first sight, Blake, not always the way. Um, Which he seems to learn for this encounter, but then when he sees the behames later, he just fucking goes in sword sword (laughs) slashing, right? uh yeah but the guy had an annoying voice that he recognized oh yeah yeah, yeah. So, sorry yeah that's like, right that's pretty that's justified that's a crime punishable by death i think oh <laughs> uh, yeah yeah no, i think you're right though that um it, it's important that this proves to be like a very helpful thing to do he lets this woman live and it works out yeah. and he he doesn't process that part yeah um, so, so yeah, Blake interprets her, basically Joyce calls away one of the practitioners, Gail, and tells them to come with her back home. And since this woman has sworn an oath not to do it, not to do anything against Blake, basically to only do something if it helps Blake, Blake interprets this as, as her basically saying Gail deserves to live and the rest deserve to die. So good luck. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, the, the, the more this went on, and by the yeah. end of this, I think I'm now fairly confident that Blake was maybe correct in this assumption. Yeah, in this like, read I... of what Joyce was implying to him here. 
Yes, but it took me a while to agree with him on this, and I'm very concerned at how quickly he jumped to this assumption. Uh, yeah. Um, it's um because yeah. it's it's cold. Uh like damn Joyce. Yeah, and uh the fact that Joyce does this is basically like her signing off on it happening, which is the exact kind of approval of his actions that Blake doesn't need right now. <laughs> It reminds me of that whole thing with the uh the douche well the the families in town and the goblins that we saw in uh signature mm. like where we we sort of condemn them for just like allowing this sort of stuff to go on yeah yeah it's true um oh man things have just gotten worse and worse in this story haven't they <laughs> remember when that was the ethical question of the day yeah. <laughs> oh, how nice it would be to be back in those times i mean part of me keeps thinking okay surely we've hit rock bottom by the end of this chapter like i feel like we're gonna have to start to pivot back upwards with with, with blake and all that but like also I, I think i thought that in like arc nine so god i can't wait to read the rest of this story like, <laughs> yeah, there's still four I, arcs left i know i'm like either we've hit rock bottom now and we're about to sort of pivot back up towards the end i'm or sure like, it'll be that yeah or it's just gonna keep getting worse and i'm gonna be <laughs> freaking out the whole time yeah 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 i mean i don't yeah no comment, I guess. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, it's all good. Um, also, there's an interesting thing brought up here where Blake can't really hear the bell anymore. Mm. Um, I don't know. I just wonder what that's about. I feel like that's going to be something that makes sense in a little bit. This feels like, you know, dropping the seeds for something. Because um, one of the things this one, one person in this group of Duchamps brings up, um, which is a good point, is that, like, what? why haven't they gone and stopped the bell yet? Like... From everything we've seen, it's been riling everyone up, and and presumably that's not what everyone wants, mm. uh, in in general. Yeah, I I kind of want to talk about this, like the bell conceptually. I feel like we haven't explicitly seen what it's doing, right? We still don't really know what it's doing, but I and and I like we haven't seen it tangibly have any effect. But the way that things have gone and how quickly things have gone to shit, it makes mm. it hard for me to not think that the bell is playing some part in this. No, I mean, my assumption of the bell is it's basically been, it's like the tension, the, the, the tense music in a, in a horror movie where it's like mm. just ramping up the tension. Like it's just setting everybody's sort of tenseness and uh, like a little bit higher and just pushing them that little bit closer to snapping. So it doesn't have like this direct effect, but it's just like, because it's affecting everyone a little bit, it, it makes it easier to tip things over the edge. Yeah. Um, and I, like, one of my reads is that Blake is already over the edge. So like, he's just not really hearing the bell because it's just not having an effect. Oh, interesting. I like um, that. Yeah. I, I can yeah, kind of yeah. look back through the past, you know, arc or so and think, okay, so the fact that the others were so ready to attack the house possibly bell influenced the fact that the junior council wasn't super keen to form any kind of alliance possibly bell influenced like some of these things that could have gone better if if not for mm. the bell that that's how i'm kind of tracking its influence i guess yeah yeah exactly it's putting everyone just a little bit more on edge which makes it harder to work together and makes it easier for things to go to shit so um, actually a, a thought has just occurred to me so if we track the thread here let's say the the meeting Blake's meeting with the junior council, the it went really badly in some part because of the bell, right? I think that's a fair thing to say. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know how well it would have gone without the bell, but like sure, but it sh- did seem to really fall apart towards the end. And this this was what made Blake decide to, that he needed to prove to the others how bad things were going to get, which meant that he awakened the Thorburns, which ultimately led in. Oh, so now what was the word we used? Not awakened. It's um. Oh, sorry initiated no, no. what was it initiated yes that, <coughs> yeah. was what, that was what we wanted um, he yeah. initiated the thorburns which ultimately led to callan's death so um molly indirectly caused her brother to die by ringing <laughs> this bell yeah somebody go tell her that and maybe she'll shut up yeah um yeah yeah um anyway so, i guess well I, I i'm i'm thinking we'll hear a bit more about the bell next arc yeah yeah we'll see um, so the remaining four practitioners do kind of notice Blake and Green Eyes and a f- this inevitable fight breaks out and Green Eyes really ramps it up to 11 straight away <laughs> by jumping on one of the practitioners and eviscerating them, them, uh, degloving their midsection is the terminology used here. And it's a very quick and brutal 
killed to immediately set the tone of this isn't uh, fucking Harry Potter shit where we're throwing curses and hexes <laughs> at each other and pieces of paper and shit. This is like in the mud. <laughs> I mean, well, the thing is, I don't think it quick and brutal kill gives the impression that uh, Jan yes, died. Sorry, she, quick and brutal uh, incapacitation, slow yes. kill. It, it was the the mortal wound was dealt quickly, but the the actual end of mor- mortality did not. Yeah, take place for a couple of minutes. I think. Um, <sighs> I mean, this bit is so. This was so fucking good to read. Like it blew me away. Um, I I think the writing really sells it because Wobbo doesn't tell you what happened in detail. Like he doesn't he doesn't explain the degloving. What yeah. he does is he he goes on a little bit of like a side note and just sort of Blake just introduces the concept of degloving in case you're not familiar with it. And then once you sort of got a handle on it, and then he's just like. And yeah, so basically her whole midsection was degloved. It's like he hasn't told you what it looks like. He's given you the building box and you do it to yourself. Yeah, he describes <laughs> the concept of degloving and like other situations where it happens and then says, and that happened to her midsection. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. oh. Yeah, exactly. Like, like rather than getting bogged down in the actual visceral detail of what happened, he, he makes you do it yourself and that somehow makes it so much more confronting it's great yeah except there's one bit where he says uh, i don't i didn't pull out the exact line but it's something like uh it looked like the skin of a chicken <laughs> i can't remember what the fuck it was but like loose dangling skin like on some kind of uh animal uh, yeah well green eyes crawls off and the skin is all still attached to her and blake just comments that there was, it was like a snake hide or something like a uh, trailing off behind her um yes something like that uh yes a canvas of bloody skin still hooked to her tail is the uh, part that I'm... That's so much worse than what I said. Yeah, sorry. I just had to read out the word just so that we could all feel the uh, brutality of this. Um, yeah, and so let's talk about Green Eyes and Blake here, right? Because, I I mean, we touched on last chapter on, on Green Eyes' influence on Blake and what our read on was it. And I, I, I don't... I still don't know where I land on this. Like, it's potentially obviously problematic because she is so ready to kill, but also... I don't know. It just like she also feels a lot more sure in who's evil and who's not, which maybe is a good thing and maybe is a bad thing. I don't fucking know. Um, I don't know. With everything going on with Blake, I don't trust people who have instincts on good and bad right now. Um, yeah, fair enough. Especially not if that comes from the abyss potentially. Yeah, I, like I mean, something we've we sort of failed to talk about, uh, even when we specifically talked about Green Eyes, is kind of like what. What's she grow? What, what's she going through? Like even when we mm. had that tiny snippet of an interlude of hers in in eleven dot x, um, you know that was all sort of so positive, but it was so brief, um, as well. Like she's she's emerged from the drains very much like a boogeyman. Like she's got this hunger for human flesh that uh, seems pretty difficult to satiate. Honestly, like she's had a, she's had pretty good at eating tonight, and she still seems hungry. But also, um, she doesn't seem to need to feed on it that much. Like it hasn't been no, a problem exactly. that she hasn't been able to. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then obviously we get a bit later that we'll dive into a bit when we get there as well. But uh, we learn a bit more about her backstory, sort of. That um, it's just a bit tragic. I I don't know. Like I guess something I just hadn't been paying enough attention to was um, what's been happening to Green Eyes because we didn't know her before she was Green Eyes. Um, it was sort of easy to forget that like she's going through her own shit that's yeah. abyss related as well. Um, she she's very very positive right and it means that it's hard to like we don't stop and think actually what's going on with her because it seems like she's just really happy all the time yeah but, and and so watching her do this stuff here was finally the the bit where i was like man you know she's being affected by this stuff a lot too huh mm-hmm. um because yeah. I, I assume when she was a human she did not behave like this um i mean <laughs> you never know <laughs> um but uh yeah i mean what's interesting is because you brought up this idea that green eyes might be a bad influence on, on blake mm. I, I was actually wondering if he's maybe a bad influence on on her mm. uh like you know we've talked a bit about like blake had that vision in the drains where he was becoming a bit of a cult leader himself a bit of an abuser uh, as he put it yeah and now like he's really sort of taken green eyes under his wing and um you know we've talked about how she clearly sort of is is keen on him and uh, I don't know if I want to say he's been using that, but, um, you know, he certainly mm. hasn't, uh, you know, fought against it. Um, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I wonder if um, if maybe it's not just that she's, like, you know, maybe they're both sort of bad influences on each other, I guess. Like, you know, they're both in this chapter very much giving into uh, abyss-style instincts. Um, yeah. yeah. But they also, I think, are 
positive influences on each other as well, right? I think it's a lot yeah. deeper. Like it's it's harder to track because Blake is obviously having green eyes not just kill anybody, right? Which is a mm. good thing. <laughs> um and Green Eyes is kind of acting in a lot of ways, I would say, as a, a bit of a mirror to Blake of like, you know, Green Eyes is a monster, but you're helping her be better, and so you need to kind of take that lens with yourself as well. I don't know how much he's taking that on board, but he's definitely like through telling Green Eyes, hey, these are people that are okay to kill and these are people who aren't, he has to confront that himself in a way that if Green Eyes wasn't around, I would worry that he wouldn't and would just be a lot more brutal about it. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I just think they're actually on very similar journeys. Are they going yeah. through quite similar problems and perhaps more than Blake has realized? And maybe I, I feel like I'm saying this about so many things, but maybe that'll be part of his wake up call. I just really want this wake up call to happen. I'm like jumping at anything that could lead to it, maybe. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, so the fight rages on and uh, Green Eyes and Blake win. Um, and Blake only barely feels bad as he brutally murders these people. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, you can kind of assume the necromancer was actually a giant piece of shit, given yes. how his profession works. So I don't feel too bad about that one either. Um, and I think it's a little bit more ambiguous with these other two guys, maybe. Um, but you're right. Like compared to, like, remember when he killed Laird, and like that was that was one of the most justifiable uh, killing moments ever. Um, and Blake still felt horrible about it. And now there's none of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it goes further, right? Um, I want to pull out these lines where Blake, as he's saying to one of these people, says, this is, sorry, this is Gail's uh, husband. He says, I wonder why Joyce thought you deserved to die. His eyes widened. Did you say or do something that she needed to save Gail from you? She was willing to betray her family to get rid of you. This is fucking like evil villain stuff, right? Yeah, that's some real super villain monologuing, uh... It's yeah, like he's and he's already killed the guy at this point, really. Yeah. Like there's there is no need for this. This is yeah. not putting him on the back foot. He's already got a sword going through his like head or something. Yeah. Um yeah, this is just straight up being a villain. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean something something I guess something I think we don't talk enough about, um, and I just quickly want to do, like, cause this fight scene absolutely kicks ass. Like mm. I, I, I hate it because yeah. of what Blake is doing. Um but it kicks ass. Like, yeah. And I think maybe that's something we, we probably don't say enough about some of the fight scenes in Pact is like, they're, they're fantastic spectacles. Yeah, um, I think my but- favourite so far has been the final showdown with Conquest. And this is on on par with that. Like, it's yeah. it's so good. And, and honestly, I think that's because Blake is so confident in his fighting ability here. Like, he actually, th- he's been getting better and better at the, you know, fucking hand-to-hand or whatever fighting stuff at- as he ca- came out of the abyss and as he's kind of grown into being a monster. But now he's fully a monster and he is also just, like, so on point. Like, he- the hyena yeah. is flashing and gutting people, killing people, stabbing through jaws and heads. And, yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's being rewarded for leaning in. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, he, 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 like, he fights so well here compared to what he used to be. Like, he's he's turned, and I mean that. I think that's partially why I love this fight so much. Is everyone's competent now? It kind of feels like the end of like you know the Harry Potter type story where it's like, oh, and now they're all competent wizards. So it's not Harry being assaulted. It's sort of yeah. like people actually fighting back. But of course, Blake kind of sidestepped the whole becoming better at practice, like the practice, and and just sort of took an alternate route. Yep. Um. A, yeah, a no uh, downside shortcut i think <laughs> um yeah i mean and i love the like the you know the avatar practitioners here who can kind of bend elements basically um i mean again on the topic of things that i hate but also actually love um all of blake's little supervillain monologues to everyone um are incredibly fun like the bits where he's where he's sort of got the sword to these two brothers and he's like just tell me you're not evil or you're yeah. not monsters uh, by, you know, modern Canadian standards and I won't kill you. And the guy just can't do it. And it's, uh, <sighs> yeah. again, I don't want, I don't want uh, Blake's stupid ideas to be reinforced by the fact that these people <laughs> may have deserved to die. Right. Like that doesn't make it okay, Blake. Yeah. I hated that this guy not being able to say no kind of validated Blake's yeah. validated to him um what he was doing and i was like no god he doesn't need this um 
Yeah. yeah. And so I guess the last thing before we move on from this this cool fight um, is the bit, there's a bit where the necromancer uh, sends Blake on another pair of quick excursions to the abyss. Um, I like that these things keep coming in pairs because presumably that means Blake's figuring shit out the third time, which uh, we know is a very good way to do it. Um, but there's some great Lovecraftian horror as he sort of enters the abyss for a bit in a more spiritual way. Yeah. Um, like he sees that giant bat bird monster thing. That's creepy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely creepy. <sighs> um, yeah, I don't know what to make of this. Like, I guess it gives him... The way Blake reads it is, this necromancer gives him a vision of his death, and this is what an abyss boogeyman death looks like, um, which is kind of horrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I, I agree. I'm not entirely sure what to make of everything he sees here, except that, you know, I think this is kind of what his death would look like, and he's not having any of it. Mm, yeah, not yet. So Green Eyes uh, blurs the line between attacking and feeding here as she finishes <laughs> off one of the practitioners by eating his face and then just kind of is like, hmm, let's keep doing that. Uh, continues to eat one of these men um, and, and then kind of reassures Blake that she smelled evil on, on some of these folks, on the woman specifically, um, and they 100% deserve to die, so don't worry about it. Yeah, well, this is that heartbreaking insight into Green Eyes' past because what Blake smells is alcohol mm. uh, and... I mean, honestly, it just reminded me of Tiffany a bit. This, this, this idea of, um, uh, I don't know, like uh, alcohol issues in in your past. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it just it gets me really interested in who Green Eyes was before she was uh, Green Eyes. Yeah. Uh, so Blake is kind of unsure whether Green Eyes interpreting that she smelled that Jan smelled bad was because she smelled like alcohol or not. Green Eyes seems to indicate this isn't it, but Blake, I don't think, is super sold. Um, well, I, I still got the impression, I, I was under the impression it's just Green Eyes associates alcohol with bad, which was sort mm. of the heartbreaking side. But you, you're right, maybe maybe Green Eyes smelt something else. I don't know. Yeah. It, just, it made me feel bad because the alcohol angle made me then start to feel sorry for Green Eyes. And I was like, but I shouldn't be feeling sorry for Green Eyes because she just murdered a bunch of people and she's eating them. And like, yeah. why, why do I feel sorry for her right now? This is it's very confusing. <sighs> she's just that kind of character where you just you just can't help but like her because she's so wholesome, even though she's murdering and eating people <laughs> as she does it. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, just one other quick note. Evan, again, is basically silent throughout this entire chapter um i don't i don't know what's in his head <laughs> yeah i yeah i'm so interested to see where he's at um yeah yeah i was actually thinking what if he takes rosa's side at the end of this like it'd be pretty funny if like you know the start of the next chapter is just evan being like hey rose i'm on your team again now these guys are crazy yeah let's bind um, them and uh you know maybe coming from evan and if evan gives give a speech to blake maybe blake could see that as the wake-up call he needs and not just because you know there's two ways he's going to go if evan sides with rose it's going to be fuck rose even more or it's going to be oh shit i need to get my shit together yeah and i'm hoping it's the latter yeah i mean evan has pretty consistently been the one person who's able to get through to blake right so mm -hmm. it does leave me with some hope but you know yeah exactly you never know um so yeah, we get this moment again, Blake, you know, being very cold-hearted. He watches a man desperately trying to heal himself and uh, plucks the uh, healing tool out of him and snaps it in front of him like, no, you don't get to heal, you're going to die right now. Yeah, but to be fair, that healing device had a trapped soul in it, so, you know, this necromancer, not a great guy. Yeah, um, mm, still. <laughs> not saying Blake is either, you know, this is this is the uh, the bad fighting the bad at this point, I reckon. But um, yeah. uh, also, I love how he actually leaves the necromancer, like, alive and dying. Like, he doesn't finish him off, and yeah. he thinks, you know, maybe there'll be better karma in that, which um, I thought the whole point was we were trying to get rid of that system, Blake, but... Uh, <laughs> um, I, maybe I, I if was... he just works within the system a little bit, Elliot. <laughs> I mean, what I love about this as well, and this is how fucking dumb karma is, I'm pretty sure that actually was kind of good karma, because I remember Fell talked about how yeah. the reason practitioners didn't use guns is because it's like, if you leave a, um, it was like, if you leave a practitioner, like, with a noose around their neck over ice, then the spirits won't attribute the kill to you as much. Yeah. And so, like, Blake's doing that a little bit, and I was like, God, I hate karma that, that this is a thing that's, like, it's better for him to leave this guy slowly dying than to finish him off. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I guess it leans, you know, it leans into Blake being brutal more, which I love that these systems exist to amplify the, <laughs> you know, the literary horror of this story. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So they move on, leaving a trail of dead Duchamps in their wake, uh, and they run across some Bahames, and Blake almost immediately goes on the offensive before he is completely shut down by Alastair and the new Bahames superweapon. Also, there's a boogeyman that ages every step and gives birth to herself, <laughs> and her placenta turns into a red dress, and I love it. And yeah. I don't I don't have anything insightful to comment here, I just, uh, I love it. Yeah. I think that, I don't know what it is about time, but time manipulation just comes with its own set of existential horrors that are just so <laughs> perfect. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, so this weapon, this Baham super weapon, which is a giant knight that seems to be some kind of super powerful incarnation of time, something like that. Yeah, um, that's the vibe I'm getting, some sort of super time spirit thing. Yeah. Uh, it. This thing... So Blake cuts one of these behames and this thing reverts time. No perception tricks. It brings back someone from the brink of death after they've been cut by the hyena, which is something that we've kind of had reaffirmed over and over again, even in this very chapter, how difficult that should be, right? Like the the Mm -hmm. Duchamp practitioner tried to restore himself from being cut by the hyena and failed consistently because the hyena just has this ability to cause, you know, irreparable damage. Um, well, and the whole duel he had with Alistair was basically defined by Alistair realizing that if he was cut by the hyena, it would cost a fortune yes. to uh, <clears throat> restore himself. Um, and so the fact that this super weapon can do that seemingly trivially is a great mm. way to set up, hey, yeah, this super weapon is as hyped up as it should have been. Like when they were hyping it up in, in last uh, arc, they were right. This is a big deal. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's funny i didn't expect it to be a literal weapon slash like you know s- single person thing mm. um like it's dressed up as a knight which is you know i guess weapon makes sense yeah um but you're yeah this this really steps things up a notch in like my understanding of the behames because i thought even with this huge time bank they were still so limited in some ways but they're always so confident and and i guess finally now we're sort of seeing like i'm interested to learn a bit more about why they kept it hidden behind the curtain yeah i uh, suspect it's a uh once you use it you've used it up kind of deal um or at least yeah, or- you've used it up for a fair amount of time <laughs> uh yeah or, or were they really waiting for the right time to use it ah um, yes yeah yes. like the the sort of keeping the element of surprise yeah so yeah i guess um I guess I can't wait to learn more about this uh, crazy time spirit, but uh, there's bigger fish to fry right now, basically. Yeah, so the, the, the ending to this chapter is great because we see this thing that has basically defied all the things that we knew and is clearly so powerful. And Blake is like, mm, that's my second priority. <laughs> and we don't find out what that means for a few sentences. But yeah, he, you're like, you're like, what? What the fuck are you doing, mate? Yeah. Um, but he sees... Standing next to Alistair with an engagement ring is Rose. <laughs> I love this. This might be one of my favorite twists in the book so yeah. far. Like this just caught me so incredibly <sighs> so off good, guard. Isn't it? So fucking good. Uh, yeah, it makes, but it, like it adds, like you know, it, it it adds up. Totally makes sense. Didn't see it coming at all. Um, yeah, this was this is good. This was such a fantastic what the fuck moment. Yeah. Um, I just want to point out when when Blake sees them, Alistair and Rose standing next to each other, he says, They almost matched in height and sheer pretentiousness standing side <laughs> by side. Which is just like such a Blake thing. Like clearly Rose being away for a while has not made him miss her. <laughs> uh yeah. How I does mean... someone stand with pretentiousness, Blake? Come on. <laughs> Uh, to be fair, if anyone can do it, it's probably Rose and Yeah, Rose and Al- um, Alistair, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to see where it goes from here. Um, this is this is a fantastic development. And finally kind of justifies, I think, to me, uh, why the Bahames thought they could be in a sh- with a shot if, if yeah. they sort of had this as an option. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think Johannes and the Duchamps were the players that were poised to win this, right, with... The Bahames well, and the Thorburns yeah. being the, you know, the ones that were going to lose along the way to provide a bit of an obstacle. I mean, that's really what the power structure seemed to be. No, um, the the environment was set up so it felt like, uh, yeah, as you said, Sandra and Johannes were sort of the, the front runners, you know, the safer bets. And then there were sort of the Bahames and the Thorburns acting like wild cards. Yeah. Um, um, and what better yeah. thing for two wild cards to do than to join forces? 
what's funny like the idea of them being together like just just the fact now that it's not everyone versus the thorburns and the thorburns won't always be on the run because the Bahames are so established in the town it honestly makes me feel like we've gone from the Bahames and Thorburns as individual units, I was like, oh, neither of them have a very good chance of winning unless they do something really stupid too. Now they're together, I'm like, wow, I don't think Johannes and the Duchamps teamed up will be able to stop them. Mm. Um, like it's, It feels like such an effective combination. It's like they, they shore up each other's weaknesses. Um, and the Bahames were the only ones who had any sort of defense against the demons. So it's just... Yeah, uh, I want to touch on that as well because the whole story, we've had these beats of generations of Bahames and and Thorburns like uh mingling right first with Eamon and 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 Rose Senior and then there was some weirdness around Blake and Laird that felt like there was something else going on there that never fully got realized and yep. and now we have Rose and and Alistair and it feels like it's all fitting into place so perfectly <laughs> uh yeah you're right these two families have been uh bouncing off each other for a few generations now um Oh god, I can't wait. I just, I just want to. <laughs> I, um, I'm like, I'm like upset that there's an interlude right now because we're not going to jump straight into this next scene. I think unless it's like a a, a rose interlude or something. But mm. um, also, I love interludes so much. So I just, what I hate is our stupid schedule, which means I can only read two <laughs> chapters a week. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, that's the end of this, right? There's an interlude coming along next. Um, yep. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how we go. Um, before we wrap up, though, it's time to revisit our discussion question, which we've been running for the past week, uh, where we were talking about the kind of fundamental elements and giving people a chance to explore some of the characters in this story and how they, they uh, what fundamental element re- might represent them, as Blake seems to be represented by Wood. Um, mm-hmm. And we got a few uh, interesting answers, and I... I, I I want to pull some out here. And the first one I want to talk about is uh, Isha Morden's answer, which I absolutely yeah. loved, um, talking about Rose as metal. And this is something that made so much sense to me that actually I think the idea of the elements was just introduced for this reason, honestly. Um, <laughs> because Rose as metal is uh, kind of defines and is defined by what we've heard of metal and wood and their relationship, uh, metal being the newer element, the fundamental element that is, you know, replacing wood. Um, and obviously that has some implications for Rose and Blake's relationship. Um, but I want to pull out a few kind of comparisons that Isha Morden makes here. Um, so metal is kind of worked as an artistry. Uh, Rose being, you know, a good example of this because she is so kind of composed and proper. Uh, composed as in she's composed but also as as in she has been composed (laughs) she has been created right Um, i also um you know we talked about like like metal as an element has come up as refined earth yeah um it's like you take the raw earth and you sculpt something pure out of it and if we are working off the assumption that rose was the intended heir um that obviously adds up yeah yeah 100 percent um, I also like the comparison of metal and wood as things that were used in similar ways over time, like obviously both used to make tools, both used to build structures, uh, but metal is stronger, metal is better, but it's also colder, right? It doesn't come from a living thing, it comes from mm. a, a ore, it's refined and it's not alive and it never was alive, um, which is great. Um, also, yeah. uh, wooden tools... Uh, more disposable whereas metal tools are more permanent um blake and rose i mean it's so perfect (laughs) i absolutely love it yeah i mean what's interesting have i gotten this mixed up or when so we had that original thing this is way back in arc one when they were awakening where didn't rose have like holly and holly berries as something in her awakening ritual and blake had the iron yeah um and obviously now we know that like uh rose kind of intentionally fucked hers up um, but there's some interesting imagery there where uh, Rose messed hers up by using wood and Blake was successful using metal. <laughs> yeah, I love that. You know, um, we're effectively saying now they represent the opposites. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, when when Blake was out of the mirror, he used iron. And while Rose was in the mirror, she used holly, right? I, mm. Now they've swapped places. I mean, maybe the, the answer is if Rose was the one who was still in the mirror and went to the abyss, she would come out as a being made of wood 
and Blake would be the metal one, but that's just not where the chips have fallen. Yeah, maybe. I wonder if Blake does an awakening ritual with Holly if it somewhat works on vestiges. He's probably too far gone for that, never mind. Yeah, I think that ship has sailed. <laughs> Need to be at least 2% human for that to work. Um, so the other the other great answer uh, was from Brawl97, uh, who talks about Peter, uh, our favourite Thorburn Best that we love to hate. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> so, what, like, Peter, he's he's slippery uh he, he's adaptable like obviously that's a great fit for sort of water no sorry uh i i kept going i, I guess i must have cut out for a sec so um this, oh, i'll just start again um like so Peter, you know he's, he's like he's slippery and adaptable which i think is like a great fit for water um i also liked brawl's note that like water fills space as needed which i think you know we've seen peter really slip into various roles in his life uh very well like i mm. think that's actually a great insight um Obviously, and he filled the house with water. There's a literal connection there. That's not <laughs> yeah. Brawl 97. That's that's my that's my great input. I had the same thought as well. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I like this, but I don't think it's like a very strong metaphor. It's just a fun coincidence. Uh, um, yeah. And then uh, I, the other thing Brawl 97 says is Peter keeps a cool head, um, which, you know, is, is a water thing. Yep. Yeah, cool. Cool like water. <laughs> so they say. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and so then I guess last thing we want to touch on here, um, I, I was very upset that nobody did mags. So I did mags. Um, and I think, uh, so I've labeled mags as earth as an element. And mm. I think earth is an element in pact. I actually, as I got started on this, I was like suddenly unsure if earth is actually one of the elements. Yeah. Because as far as I can remember, we've only had water, fire, air, uh, metal and wood discussed. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what the full element situation is in pact. Yeah. Um, I guess if, if things like wood and metal can sort of be replacing each other, it's, you know, it's, it's packed. It's not, it's not set in stone. It's, it's fluid and there's maybe, there's probably even like minor elements and stuff. Yep. Um, Uranium. That's an element. <laughs> uh, yeah. In fact, like Tiff mentioned that the awakening ritual, part of the awakening ritual is you make sacrifices to the major elements. Mm. Um, I, I briefly went back and reread the awakening rituals and I couldn't figure out just off a brief skim which part of the awakening ritual is the yeah. bits? Because there's stuff that seems to be death, time, you know, like focused on like fundamental forces as well. Mm. And so maybe there's some blend between elements and forces in that way. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, Tiff sort of gave a list. She's like, part of the awakening is to the local spirits, parts to like the major forces, parts to the elements. Right. Like she sort of. So, yeah. And it was just, I, I, from a very brief skim, I couldn't actually tell which part was which. Mm. Um, Anyway, but so assuming Earth is a valid element, um, I, I think it fits Mags because um, one thing Buttsack talked about was um, in, in his section of Signature uh, was this idea that the Earth is always calling to goblins because they're scrap and it wants to decompose them. <laughs> um, and obviously, if Earth is connected to goblins, I think it's probably connected to Mags because we talked so much about how um, you know her being around goblins has influenced her. Yeah. Um, and then. Like, I also think that somewhat applies that that idea of, like, the Earth wanting to gravitate towards things that are, you know, needing to be decomposed or whatever sort of aligns with this whole idea of how Mags has sort of shored herself up. Yeah. Um, with this role of ambassador. Yeah, you're right. She's she's not whole, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there's nothing in Pact to support this, but, like, usually in most works of fiction, Earth is the element that's all about, like, being stubborn and blunt. Yeah, unmoving. Uh, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's Max. <laughs> yeah. I think that just sums her up really well. Actually, the only thing that can get through to Earth is water, right? Like, you know, classically, the only thing that moves Earth is water through erosion. So that means, I'm calling it now, there's a new ship on the horizon. Oh, Peter and Max. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, I hate it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. And so I guess moving on, uh, we're going <laughs> yep, to have move another. On quick. <laughs> uh, we're going to have another discussion question coming up in th- over the next week. So this will be due in thirteen one. Uh, yes, thirteen yeah, one or two, um, depending on if we have a bonus. We don't. So thirteen one. Okay. Cool. Um, and and so this discussion question is: uh, We've criticised Blake for not having an alternative plan about what he could replace the current system with. What improvements do you think could reasonably may- be made to the world of Pact? Mm. Uh, so basically, Blake, Blake's done a shit job of explaining what he actually wants to fix, and, yep. and we're interested to hear what your ideas are yeah. um, about what he could actually do to, to fix this. Yeah, if we're going to break the system, what's the new system? Yeah, like, uh, you know, 
do you just go anarchy and tell it all, tear it all down or do you try, try and patch it like you know mm. what do you do mm. hot fix it um yep. so yeah Solomon, you... seal of solomon 1.1 <laughs> If you have an answer to that discussion question, the perfect place to leave it is in our discussion thread, which you can find linked down below in the episode description. Uh, yes. Uh, and if you want to reach us another way, we're on Twitter, at MediumD Podcast. It's where I do the live reads. It's where we interact with people that's not Reddit. So check it out. Yeah. If you want to support the show, a great way to do that is to leave us a review on your podcasting service of choice, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh the other ones as well um if you could leave us a review that would be very helpful because it helps uh spread the love yes uh and if you want to learn more about doof media and the other shows on the doof media network doofmedia.com that's where you go uh i think today coming out the same time as this episode is uh the doofcast episode where they're deconstructing uh m night's uh the visit mm, yeah which, uh, i think we saw together we did actually. um this was i really liked it the movie that br- brought m night back to, into not being a joke um <laughs> yeah i i really liked this like i'm, I'm keen to listen to this episode because i haven't seen the movie since it came out but i remember you know this this had, it had been a while since m night had had a successful one of his formulaic movies which was just a horror movie with a like earth-shattering twist and i thought the twist in the visit really worked well this is interesting so i i'm pretty sure i remember in the last deconstructing episode that they did that people everyone thinks that there was a gap between after earth and you know the visit but actually the gap was basically consistent so it just feels like m night was gone for a while and then came back but actually oh no that's 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 absolutely i i, I wasn't implying he wasn't making movies i was implying there was a gap in his movies that are worth seeing oh yeah sure, sure, um, sure. Y- yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah yeah i don't know i i just the narrative of M. Night Shyamalan is one that is so interesting to me. I've really been enjoying the Deconstructing Director series, so I recommend yeah. you listen to the whole thing, and especially this episode that comes out today, The Visit, because I'm sure that'll be a good one. Yes. Um, uh, if you want to support the Doof Media Network, uh, doing things like this uh, deep dive on M. Night, uh, these things are only possible because of the lovely support of all our patrons. And if you'd like to be one of those lovely patrons, the place to go is patreon.com slash doofmedia. Um, backing the network for any amount of dollars a month will already get you some great perks like access to the Discord and some other really cool stuff. Um, so yeah, thank you for, for caring. Uh, and if you've ever thought to yourself, I need more full body degloving in my life, yep. head on over to patreon.com forward slash Wabo because he's the one bringing uh, the, the top quality full body degloving to yep. your inbox. Yeah. So. Uh, I hear if uh, we get uh, 1,000 new backers this week, then he's going to write a full degloving uh, short story. <laughs> Is that meant to incentivize people? To <laughs> yeah, sorry, no. I mean, he's not going to. If we have a thousand years, he's not going to write it. Otherwise, he is, and he's going to make you all read it. Um, yeah, uh, look, we'll be back, and, and I guess I'll understand if you won't after that, um, yeah. for Duress12.x on Friday the yeah, 1st Yeah, it's a histories. November. It's a histories arc, Elliot, so I'm excited for it. And um, we'll see you all then. <sighs> see ya. See ya.